Hello, friends. Welcome to the Raptors Reasonablists ASMR podcast. We figure with the Raptors at one and five, you could use it. So, welcome. Sink into your chair or your couch or your bed if you haven't been able to leave it because the Raptors blew their sixth double digit lead of the season. And just rest here and listen to me tap this basketball. And let your brain refresh with the sound of Kawhi Leonard's Game 7 game winner bouncing off the rim. Bounce. 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 And now I'm going to lightly click around in the ESPN trade machine. What's up, Eric? I mean... Shouldn't we just end the podcast now? Yeah, I could do a whole like 10 minutes of that. I mean, I've, I'm on a 160 day meditation streak, streak so I can, wow. then, I can then lead a meditation. Although, from what I've been told, my voice is probably not optimal for that. Yeah. We'll um, need you. I'll, I'll train you and then you can <laughs> use your soothing voice to... Uh, I don't think I have any nicer a voice than you do, Eric. I think uh, uh, we are different types of annoying, but... Both I don't know. firmly don't... in that camp. Okay, I'm not going to get into an argument about this. There's plenty of other things to argue about. Yeah, I mean, look, if we're not going to start the podcast off with a little self-loathing back and forth, <laughs> uh, what is there to loathe about? Because it's certainly not the one in five Toronto Raptors, right? No yeah. one would be so bold as to be upset about this team's performance through two weeks. Um, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it, it's early and it's fine. Just keep on yeah. repeating that to yourself. That can be your However, mo- those can be your mantras. Yeah. In reality, it is uh, it is early, but that's as you wrote at the Athletic this week. Which, by the way, theathletic.com slash we the six. If you are not yet a subscriber, um, deal right now going on for three ninety nine a month. So go check that out and go check out the column Eric wrote uh, Monday about why. It's early doesn't really do the current situation around the Raptors justice. And that was before they blew yet another double-digit lead, uh, this time to the Boston Celtics, who were heavily shorthanded. And Peyton Pritchard and Jason Tatum just went to town on them. Uh, You know, we kind of, I at least, had joked... Uh, a couple times when when they struggled out of the gate that like, oh, yeah, that that Celtics game, um, you know, looms as, as kind of the rock bottom or as, it, it, you know, Doug Smith, uh, our friend from the Toronto Star, pointed out last night, that this isn't even close to rock bottom. But, uh, you know, we can smell what the rock is cooking at this point. It's it's headed there quickly. Um, but the Celtics, you know, the Celtics standing out on the schedule Losing a bad one to the double-digit Celtics was either going to drive people to become the Joker, or it was finally going to break Raptors Twitter into, you know, splinter it into, okay, this group over here is now just laughing at it. Actually, it's funny to me. Um, And the other half are just, have gone completely unhinged. Um, Eric, so yeah, it, it is early. Um, Normally, we don't look at things like team rate stats and um, play type breakdowns and stuff like that. Like, like you're really not getting great information until you're about 20 games in. Uh, but six games in, things look alarming. And I am of the mind that 
you know, while yes, statistically every game counts as one out of 72, um, I do think marginal value of wins tilts a little more toward early season because it informs, you know, what you're going to do at the trade deadline and how you handle uh, their, you know, development versus win now and stuff like that later in the season. So um, I also just think, you know, the longer this drags on, the harder it is to steer out of. So uh, one and five worst start since 2012-13. They are in a rough place. And to your not serious point about everything's fine, uh, the vibes, Eric, certainly suggest things are not fine. Where are you at with your Toronto Raptors right now? Yeah, it's bad. (laughs) Um, I think it's pretty clear from, you mentioned the vibes, from the way they're speaking, they're not fine with it either, which, as I wrote, like, just as a fan, should be setting your, like, should be setting some warning signs off, because this isn't a team with a history of losing, and so rightfully, they're not you know, accepting losing, but I I also think that means they're sort of short for answers right now. Uh, And and you can see signs of them pressing and certainly in shot selection at some points. Um, And, you know, Nick Nurse is certainly doing the searching bit uh, with the back end of the rotation, probably not to put this on him because I think, you know, let's make the big thing the big thing, and that's Pascal Siakam's struggles. We'll get to that. But, like, just on a more macro level, he's certainly looking for consistent rotation pieces, and if you're looking for different consistent rotation pieces each half, like, that's, you know, obviously those two things fly in the face of each other, which is just to say Nick Nurse is looking for one good stint of play from just about anybody right now, except for Matt Thomas. Um, (laughs) So uh, it's not fine. I'm concerned. I think there are track records for certain guys on this team where this shouldn't last. Um, I mean, I don't know what the hell's going on with Pascal Siakam. I I think Norm Powell's better than this. Um, uh, I mean, we've both expressed our skepticism about last year, but I'd say in this role, he's better than this. Uh, The center situation is concerning uh we saw the second half switch there uh there's just a lot of bad stuff going on and pascal siakam's at the top of that list yeah um okay so before we get in obviously you just laid out a number of specifics uh and our our friend chris black at sportsnet did us the favor of just uh sending us basically in reply to your tweet about how hard it would be to be reasonable today um, basically just sent us the show outline in a tweet. So that was that was nice. We're going to go through all of those things. <laughs> um, first, just to mention, uh, obviously, there are ways you can uh, think about to kind of steer out of this. And one of them that's become pretty popular is, well, the Raptors should make a panic trade. So let's start there. I don't think that it's in Masai Ujiri's uh, wheelhouse to make a panic trade, really. It just doesn't align with the way he's made moves in the past in terms of leverage and yeah. reaction. No, yesterday on Twitter, I was uh, somebody mentioned me. I've got to stop looking at my mentions. Uh, I mean, I don't need to stop looking at all of them, but I, I do have a bad habit of replying to the negative ones and trying to make the people look not smart, which isn't very nice of me. But I well, was... T- if I was, it makes I was, you feel better... 
my approach of trying to earnestly engage with everyone and be nice doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, well, but so. my, my, the correct approach should just be not to engage and mute them, I think. Uh, or, or not even mute them, just ignore. That, that would show some sort of adult growth on, uh, on my end. But, like, the, the tweet was like, Masai always seems to find himself in this negative uh, negotiating situation, uh, which is, like, conveniently forgetting three-quarters to four-fifths of the Raptors' tenure under Masai Ujiri. Yeah, so obviously we've talked a lot about the the James Harden um, issue. Uh, a little upset right now. Sorry, uh, someone just spoiled the main event of Wrestle Kingdom Night 2 for me, and that was what I was going to do after this podcast. And Very upset now. More upset about this than the 1-5 and five start. Well, um, uh, people... It, it turns out that 2021 didn't fix people. Yeah. Um, did, anyway, you, did the person do it on purpose? or No, they... They put something in the group chat that uh, uh, that spoiled. Had you uh, requested nobody do that? Yeah, we yeah, we have a we have a general. So I have a wrestling group chat, and there's generally uh, we don't nobody talks specifics in there until uh, until everyone has confirmed that they're caught up. At, le- at least for the New Japan ones, because they air at like two or three in the morning. Yeah. Here. Anyway. Well, you can uh, call them out now. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, we had talked a lot about James Harden, and, and I think, you know, there were, before the Raptors started poorly, there were rumblings out there, most notably from Brian Windhorse of ESPN, that the Raptors had at least checked in on Harden's availability and, and considered that. Um, now, I would say that, one, we people need to be wary of this, what I call kind of the, the trade machine paradox, which is the more the angrier people are at a player and the less they like a player, the more they throw him into trades for good things coming back. Um, where like it's, it's the old, uh, HBAP, the Humphreys Brooks and a pick that Nets fans would try to trade for like awesome stuff all the time. And it was just last year. It was McCaw Johnson and a pick this year. It'll be Norm McCaw Johnson and a pick. Um, you know, if you thought the Raptors were should be in on Harden and that package would be centered around, say, Siakam Powell and draft equity, well, the value of that package has gone down at least slightly uh, in the next little bit, and Houston's leverage would have gone up. So uh, be w- aware of that. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, the NBA operates in a way that we never really know when the next guy is going to become available. And our producer, Andrew, um, they, on the Athletic NBA show, discussed Bradley Beal as an option uh, around the league on a recent episode. And I think, you know, you start to look at, okay, where's the fit and what does it cost you and how seamless is the transition? And maybe Beal's a guy you talk about too. And then, you know, the other the other option, if this continues on, is that, and neither of us want to go into this yet in in great detail one because it's just like you know i'm gonna need to run back that all your trade ideas are bad because most of the trade concepts around this player um either take back bad money or don't return enough assets but the worse the raptors get the more it'll make sense to at least explore the market for kyle lowry so uh eric i'm putting you in masai ujiri's uh lame duck shoes right now and when you're not thinking about your next contract and your next move where are you at in terms of do you how long I guess what I'm asking is what is your patience level for letting this resolve itself uh and then 
you know, if it doesn't resolve itself, are you more in the buy or sell camp to kind of right the ship? Um, well, I think, like, you don't exist in a vacuum, right? Like, so you have to know what's going on. As you just said, you can't just decide. I mean, you could, but that would be antithetical to, you know, good basketball management. And, uh, you know, with some notable exceptions on my timeline, I think we could mostly agree that uh, Masai Ujiri is pretty good at his job. Uh, so I, I don't think he's going to go making a ton of bad decisions just to make moves. That's never been his MO. Uh, so if he doesn't feel like he's operating from a strong negotiating standpoint, he's going to see that out. Um, so, which is all to say, I, I would remain pretty patient, I think. Um, or maybe this is just a prescription. Like, I, I think they should remain patient uh, because it is unwise to negotiate from this position. Uh, but if it does, to your second question, if it doesn't resolve itself, I think you got a lean sell. Like I, there, it's another, it looks like it will be another competitive year where another, a number of teams can talk themselves into championship contention. That sort of was my read on it before the year. The Lakers are the obvious favorites, but not this like golden state level, like nobody's touching them. And I like, I'm even skeptical how much that, affected the trade the buying trade market in years past but it's definitely like you remember golden states the the year the raptors won like all four teams in in uh the top half of the east bracket like added it's not like they were just saying well four four second round picks for meritage yeah it's not it's not like they were all saying well golden state's lurking in in the final so who cares so you know uh, what i can't wait for eric yes no i don't you go in the next cba I I personally think that as the G League expands and um, the CBA grows to give teams a little bit more control over prospects in the medium term, we're going to get a third round of the draft. And oh boy, the third round picks flying around on the trade deadline. <laughs> you, you thought four seconds for Miritich was a lot? Wait until the next Sam Hinkie cut. Wait until Sam Presti has an entire third round and gets a second G League team uh, to complement the Oklahoma City Blue. The, uh, Can't wait. The Tulsa Red. Um, <laughs> uh, who announces the third draft, the third round of the draft? Uh, like the who... G League commissioner, so, oh, yeah. uh, Sharif, in yeah. this case. Awesome. Ratings in Vancouver will skyrocket. Uh, yes. It'll be three in the morning, and it'll just be me, Kelsey O'Brien, and Dakota Schmidt tweeting out who's getting picked. Only midnight uh, in, in BC, baby. Or maybe they'll have that- a... I said only midnight in BC, um, or maybe they'll do it NFL styles where the first round is on one day and then they have the second and third rounds on a, on the next day. Um, I'm ready. Uh, I'm excited for that. Anyway, back uh, I forgot what my yes. actual, yeah. So I move, I, I would move more. There are six more, or seven yeah. teams in the East who could be buyers. And, and there are a number of teams in the West, like Denver and Portland that feel like they're right on the you know, they're a high second tier team comparing them to the Lakers and maybe the Clippers. Um, yeah, La- I think there'll be a lot of buyers. And yeah. they're, they're, the fact that there aren't, you know, there's what, one one team that is openly not trying to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. And then yeah. most of the bad Eastern Conference teams don't have a lot of good players. And that's why they're bad. <laughs> um, I, I do think that if a, 
would-be contender or at least presumed playoff team did shift to being a seller, um, you know, it's probably going to be a bit of a seller's market if you can make the cap math work. And that's that's yeah. always been the big complication with Lowry is how do you deal a $31 million point guard and not take back some bad salary? Uh, and maybe they end up being okay with that if the assets start to pile up. But let's not go there yet. Uh, I mean, uh, yes, in, theory, in theory, it makes sense. They might indeed get to that place. Uh, but I don't think it's time to start. I mean, I get why one would hit the trade machine with this, but there's plenty of time for that. Yeah. I also think, you know, this early on your mate and with how well Lowry's playing and how well Van Vliet's playing, you may be like, let's work under the assumption that Siakam figures some stuff out. Um, you know, maybe you're looking at bylaws and other places around the league, um, to try to, you know, hey, Lowry's got one year left, let's make the most of this, which the emotional side of me, that that's where it would lean. But then I see clips of, um, you know, Cunningham or Mobley or, or Kai Jones or all sorts of cool guys in the draft. And not that Kai Jones is necessarily a lottery pick, but there are just a lot. There are a lot of cool guys in this draft. Yves Pont, uh, <laughs> who is a judo artist and, and versatile defender. Anyway. I joked. You know, I joked you know that, how I feel about the draft. I, I, I joked be... that your first round, your first batch of draft profiles was coming today. So I hope I hope you didn't get any ads on Twitter. Uh, I did not, great. but uh, it is a fun draft. Anyway, that we're we're at least a couple weeks away from from talking about draft stuff. Um, so that's kind of the higher level thing. We'll get into some specifics uh, at the player level in a little bit. Although it's nothing new, you know, we've been writing about Siakam, Baines, and Norm struggling. Uh, the entire time, uh, basically. So, but we will touch on that stuff in a little bit. What I wanted to talk about first was, and this relates to the vibes, and it relates to how much trouble they've had finding a functional second unit. Where, what do you think of Nick Nurse's recent strategy of calling everyone out really aggressively? Because last year, like, we joked, like, oh, yeah, he was hard on Rondé, and then Rondé had this great stretch. He was hard on Terrence Davis, and then he dropped 20. He was hard on Boucher, and then he came through big time, uh, I think, in Phoenix. Um, you know, it happened a couple times, and it was like, oh, ha-ha. And now it seems like kind of every day that's happening and it's happening, I mean, he's been critical of Norm, he's been critical of Siakam, so it's not exclusive to bit players, but, you know, the calling out of, of a Matt Thomas or, you know, being negative about Malachi Flynn in his first game, I get it, I get the frustration level, and I get that he's trying to establish a standard that everyone has to meet, uh, but I do wonder if this is, uh, you know, maybe this strategy is best used in small well, doses. doses. Yeah. Like like Nick, in, in his book, Rapture, he wrote about how during the championship year, he gave himself six bullets for the season where he could, you know, overreact or yell or something like that. And it feels like he's, you know, getting close to having used those all already. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I would just say diminishing returns, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and at least in terms of, like, how we're receiving them, I, I think how the individual players receive them depends on the individual player. But I, I would also think that as a collective team, the more you hear that, the less it resonates. Like, uh, it's, um, and especially, like, you know, you're 
Terrence Davis or your Stanley Johnson, who's actually not been the subject of it, like the guys who have got that before, uh, like how often is that going to really work? How often is it going to light a fire under you? And if, if you do need that, that often, that's troubling in its own way. And, and like, I don't, like, when does it become useful? It's not, I don't think effort is the problem. Like, there, there's certainly some bad effort plays, but I think that comes from, I, I think the word Nick Nurse would use is, like, a lack of spirit rather than a lack of effort. Um, like, you can see the team looking sort of defeated at times rather than not trying. Uh, I, I guess that, I get that there's a thin line here. But, I mean, it just, it starts to ring hollow for sure. Um and I don't think that's the it's not the long term solution. Uh, and I think, especially at this point, you want to make things as collective as possible. I think like there is something to when things are going poorly, you want to be in it together. Um, you like hand everybody their separate praise when things are going well, but when things are going poorly, like you're a team. And and to, to Nick's point, like, he did blame the def- that defensive struggles, which are very, very relative to the offensive struggles. Like, he took blame for it himself. He said he has to get them playing good defense himself, and that's obviously where he's focused, just because that's, he said from the beginning, that's the first thing he wants to establish. So it's not like he's not taking any criticism himself or any responsibility, I guess I should say, himself. But, you know, I think... We got a transition here to, uh, and by we I mean the coaching staff, which I am not a part of, to, to team to team stuff and, and to uh, unit and to un- like messages of unity and togetherness and uh, just the the bigger picture for sure. Yeah, and I think too, you know, obviously we look at basketball players as players, right? And, and you know, I, I've referenced this a couple times now on the radio or in articles. I had a good conversation with Shelby Weaver, the Raptors um, director of, of basketball advancement, when I was writing that story down in Tampa. And, you know, one of her key focuses and a key focus of Jennifer Taylor, the the player services manager, um, you know, has been trying to take care of the off-court elements of this move. Um, and it's not like... It's archaic was the term that Shelby used to look at players and their situations as separate things. And obviously nobody wants to use that they're down in Tampa and their families are displaced and stuff like that as excuses. And, you know, I thought Fred Van Bleet's postgame comments nailed it really well in that, you know, hey, yeah, it's not an excuse, but these are real things. And he worries about the mental health of the guys around him. And I... Look, we're not in the locker room. We're not in the practice session. So maybe maybe Nick is only like that when he's talking to us um, to give us good tweets. I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what's the what's the play there? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I do think that this is a situation that calls for empathetic leadership. And that doesn't mean you don't hold guys accountable for, you know, every time Terrence Davis hits the floor, he fouls a three point shooter or you know, things like that. I, I don't, I certainly don't think Matt Thomas and DeAndre Bembry have had enough of a sample to where they're now glued to the bench, even in a blowout. But like, 
you can hold guys accountable and set those standards, I think, while still, um, like I said, empathetically. Yeah, let me let at. me read Van Vliet's quote because I think it, uh, it's worth it. It's worth it for people to hear it. Um, he was asked, it, you know, it doesn't look fun in Tampa and how difficult is it? He said, yeah, I mean, there are a long list of excuses, to be honest with you. Uh, you can't lock into that way of thinking. Like I said, we're not moving. We're not. We're going to be here in Tampa. It's not our. Ho- it's not our home. Fans are going to cheer for the other team, and that's the reality of the situation. Uh, I will interrupt to say that it was clear that you could hear some. I mean, definitely some awes of amazement at some Tatum shots and some chants for Taco Fall uh, on Monday night. Uh, anyway, I'll continue. So you can sit around and cry about it or figure out a way to work through it. But I do worry about our guy's mental health as a brother and a teammate and a friend. It's not an easy situation. I don't want to discard that. But at the same time, it's a situation we're in and the season is not going to stop. We can't hang our hats on that. We got to find a way through it. It's definitely different from being in Toronto, obviously, but here we are. And there's nothing revelatory there, but it's just... um, you know, acceptance of the situation is a big part of, I mean, this is, you know, 12 step stuff, but like acceptance is a big part of getting through something and you have to accept that it's hard and what they're going through is real uh, in terms of how different it is from the other teams before you can really address the things that are going on not because of it, but the situation they find themselves in. So I, I thought that was, you know, one of the more insightful, earnest, honest type quotes out there. Come, I mean, I mean, both he and Lowry were good last night after the game, but uh, Van Vliet certainly has a bit of a softer side to him. Not to call him soft, but Lowry is very much. Let's get this done. We need to be tougher. Where Van Vliet's maybe a shade, uh, not quite that sharp of an edge. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, and we've joked about this in the past is like, Lowry is a good teammate and leader. And yeah, no, like I'm, he this is, he just doesn't like us to know it. He just, yeah, for whatever this reason, like, there are stories of him making, you know, open gym or the social team turn off the cameras when he's helping other guys on the, after practice and stuff like for whatever reason, he just does not like us to know that he pays for dinners or he takes the guys to hot Pilates in the off season. Like, I don't know. No, so I, I do think that as prickly as he can be. And I do think there are some undertones of, um, you know, maybe some Kyle Pascal friction right now. Um, I do think that, you know, having those two as kind of stewards through this is, uh, you know, as far as, as guys you can have in the locker room go, I, I think those are two pretty good ones. Yeah, and I wasn't trying to criticize what Kyle said. I know, I yesterday. know. I just like wanted I, to expand yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, anyway, the, the point is, like, I think for now the calling out has served any purpose it's going to serve, and, and you got to focus on the collective, and you got to focus on cohesion. And this is, uh, I mean, part of what I'm going to write today, this is, you can feel it on a possession-to-possession basis, like how they're trying to solve things quickly and the urgency with which they feel, which is yeah, which is great, except that it doesn't really serve you in real time, you know? Yeah, and, and like this is, 
you know, there's a complicated wrinkle to this for us in that we're not around, right? Like we're not there. We can't feel this stuff with, um, you know, side conversations or, um, you know, body language and stuff like that. But, and, and so, you know, a lot of what we're picking up on the broadcast or, or these Zooms is maybe us projecting a little bit. But I thought, you know, they got up 13. And as soon as that lead was down to like five or six, I was like, this is it. Like, it just, it was very 2018 against the Cavs. Um, yeah, like. In the like, way that it was just like, like they were wearing it and they knew exactly what was coming and just couldn't steer out of it. Yeah, to your point about not being there, like. I remember, and I, I, I'm almost positive I've mentioned this on the pod before, so apologies, but like when it was 3-0 against Washington uh, for the Wizards, of course, like that final practice, uh, one of us asked Damar how it was going before his scrum started, and he just, you know, gave an eye roll and a shrug, and, and that sort of confirmed some of what you were feeling in the game-to-game. Like sometimes all it takes is that to like sense how things are going inside and and like we don't have the access to that but uh like you can hear it with the way they're talking and you can see it with the way they're playing like this obviously isn't a group that has collective confidence right now i I, i'm sure I, i don't think again we can talk about siakam i don't think most of them have lost faith in their skills all of a sudden but like i i don't think they've feel confident in their collective, you know, reservoir of resolve, uh, which is pretty plain to see. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the one remaining kind of trickle down from the Nick Nurse stuff is, you know, he has been really critical of a lot of his guys, which fine, uh, you know, at its base, he's not saying anything that isn't true. These guys are not playing well. Uh, However, OG, Pascal, Kyle, and Fred are all averaging 35 minutes or more in a season where the schedule is going to be really condensed. They are about to play four games in six days, all of them uh, on West Coast trips. And there isn't really, you know, I think, I guess Boucher would be the next closest thing to someone that has Nurse's Trust right now. And, you know, Powell has a leash, but he has been really bad. Um, and there's Are you happy, Chris Black? Norm Powell's been really bad. This is for Chris Black. Hey, it was one of my bold predictions for the season that Norm took a big step back, but still opted out because there's just going to be so much money for... Mm. How are you feeling about that? About what? About the second part of your prediction right now. Oh, I still think he'll opt out. I just think the number of guys who have come off the market and the number of... uh, As long as his three-point percentage is stable, I think he'll opt out and and get paid. Because this would be a third straight year of shooting like high thirties, low forties on threes. And someone will talk themselves into that. All right. Anyway, he's also weirdly like his defensive reputation has never caught up with the fact that he's not very good at defense any longer. Uh, Word. Um, Okay. So I guess the let's, let's touch on Baines first. Um, Alex Lenz started the second half in the last game. Baines uh, was O of five, all on shots around the rim. Dropped a, he's he's had some trouble with his hands, um, catching pocket passes and things like that. Uh, he's not shooting many threes, and he's only shooting 20% on them. He's shooting uh, under 50% inside of 10 feet. Uh, he has more turnovers than assists. There, there's a lot that hasn't gone well for Baines. Um, I'm of the mind that you got to give it a little bit of time just because 
you know, from a floor versus ceiling perspective, if things click for him, like that's your floor establisher, that's starting five uh, with him. You know, I think Alex Len does some some cool stuff, uh, but defensively, he's a, a little bit more limited stylistically. And, and, you know, I do think that Baines' screen setting has still been valuable for, for Lowry and Van Vliet, especially as they're carrying more of a scoring load. Um, but do you, could you see, you know, right now Baines is averaging, Baines and Boucher are averaging the exact same number of minutes. Uh, and then Alex Len has appeared in four games playing 12 minutes to the 20 for Baines and Boucher. Uh, could you see that tilting? Do, do you think Len maybe gets a crack to start? Where are you at on Baines? Uh, I sort of a shocker. I sort of align with you right now. Uh, and, and like the reason is I watch how they, you know, their performance in the first quarter and Again, some of that, I mean, a lot of that is just they were making three-pointers, and when they stopped, things went poorly. <laughs> but, uh, like, I can see his value. I, I, I thought, like, even his, like, verticality around the rim, like, in what was one of their better defensive quarters, uh, was very useful. Uh, so I, you know, if this continues, not not much is off the table, but I still think all things being equal he's the best option and you know it's six games and i'm not ready to call it yet like it's like remember when uh the lakers i think fired their coach who was it was it mike brown maybe they fired mike brown after like six games uh, and it's like, if you're going to do that after six games, why even have him as coach? And I sort yeah. of feel the way, not to the same degree, but I, I sort of feel the same way about starters. Like, if you really think this is your unit, you got to give it 10, 15 games in, in a shortened season to see if it's working. And I think, like, I, I've seen some signs, which is as much as I've seen from anything. <laughs> like, so... And, uh, and look, the, I, the, I the starting to, lineup... Sorry, go on. Yeah. The starting lineup has a net rating of negative 0.8. They haven't been the problem. They've played their minutes even. So yeah. it's not like it's... A, obviously, you know, you don't want to... It's only 64 minutes. The the amount of noise that can get into a, a five-man unit over, over 64 minutes. Um, but, you know, they haven't shot the three... Uh, super well in those minutes. Um, the they're like they're a minus five point one percent in terms of uh, three point percentage comparison. So it's not it's not a variance carried neutral performance. Like they've been fine for the most part as a starting unit. It's uh, and, yeah, and so look like his I, I think his finishing is super frustrating. Like there, there's little as like a fan, there's little more frustrating than watching your interior player miss putbacks or layups like I I think I think the difficulty of them gets understated by calling them that uh, especially when you're a sort of more ground-bound big man like uh Aaron Baines is he's not dunking a ton uh but you know when he's missing like eight foot you know push floater type shots or he's not getting above the rim on on, after dump off passes and hits the court of the run, it's the rim. It's like super frustrating. So I get like people's frustration and you just sort of want to see a true seven footer, get it and flush it if that's going to be the case. But you know, there's a lot of evidence that <laughs> Alex Lynn is a Len isn't the answer to your offensive problems. And uh, there is some evidence that Aaron Baines can be a very productive member of a rotation offensively. So 
I'm not ready to give up on that yet. And I certainly, as like, I, I love what Boucher is doing out there. He's, he's being himself. Yeah. Like there's certainly lots of room for growth uh, or, or there are areas in which you'd like to see the team get better when he's out there. I'm not sure how doable that is, but uh, I'm talking about rebounding. I don't know why I'm talking in circles around it. Um, but I don't think starting him against starting NBA centers is the is the answer here. Uh, so I, I think Baines remains the best option for now. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I would like to see more minutes of Boucher with the starters. Um, you know, and I, and then I think, too, that five-man unit that we thought we'd see more of with OG at the five, uh, we haven't seen a ton of because Norm's uh, go, going to that <laughs> requires... Yeah, and, and Siakam. And, and it's like, yeah. if you're not getting a lot out of those guys. I will say, as much as uh, I'm with you on the measured approach to Baines, he does have the worst net rating on the team other than Pascal Siakam. So um, while the starting unit has been solid, <laughs> I love that. I love that caveat. <laughs> yeah, while the starting unit has been solid, uh, basically whenever it's not the full starting unit, yeah. those two guys have really struggled. Um, Kyle Lowry, of course, still uh, dragging lineups, kicking and screaming with a 26.9 swing in net rating. The stabilizer. A lot. Um, Boucher also with a a good net rating at 5.5. So, where do we... Oh, yeah. So, we talked about Baines and potentially tweaking that. Um, We should probably talk about Stanley. Stanley's played already 40% of the minutes that he played last year uh, at 59 minutes. The Raptors are scoring 0.8 points per possession when Johnson is on the floor. Is that good? Uh, which is not good. Oh. Uh, they have defended really well. Um, they have not uh, rebounded well on their own glass, despite you know what Nick Nurse has said. And then I think more than anything, like like Stanley has not played well offensively, and teams are just like dramatically ignoring him on that end of the floor, which is to be expected. I do think you know some of the the discussion around Johnson's usage and. <laughs> Um, the lack of second unit options right now um, has been a little unfair to him. Like, like, yes, the bar is really low because of his season last year, but I thought he's done, you know, mostly what, what he's been asked defensively and in transition and forcing turnovers. But the far bigger issue is that one, this roster or this roster is either a constructed in a way that Stanley Johnson has to play or B, you know, is performing in a way that, nurse is maybe confusing where the sorry confusing is not the right word that that nurse is smart he knows he knows what's going on with his team but the focus on all of our all of the second unit choices have to be focused on defense when this is the worst offense in basketball is a little like there's some incongruency there yes would you agree (laughs) i do um Sorry, not the worst side. They're 26th in offense. Oh, they made a big leap last night. Uh, Yeah, if you take out garbage time, 26th in offense. They're not good. uh, Yeah, Yeah, and I guess like... But they're they're 14th on defense, and that's with the Celtics scoring a million points last night. Yeah, um, and I think that's where a lot of the complaints come from. And Nurse is just... It's not like he does... To your point, it's not like he doesn't know the offense is bad right now. He's just coming to different conclusions about how to best help that. Um, and, and like the conclusion he's coming to is, we'll get stops 
and we'll get rebounds and we'll get out more in transition and that will help us more than perhaps accepting some, you know, offensive offense first players and the defensive shortcomings that they might bring with them in the name of improving the half court offense. That's, I mean, I'm speaking for him and he hasn't come out and said that exactly, but like that appears to me to be the conclusion he's making. Um, and, and so you're right. It's not really about Stanley Johnson. It's about nurses decision-making and the roster construction that if you make the decision that he's making, that Stanley Johnson is probably the guy who best fits uh, that, that sort of mindset. Uh, saying that, I, I like, I'm not convinced that Matt Thomas was this, like, was being picked on to the, like, like when I saw Terrence Davis play the first few games, uh, he was like objectively terrible defensively. Um, He's I, been bad. Like I joked yeah, earlier, he fouls a three point shooter every time yeah. he checks in the game, it feels like. Yeah, but even like smaller level stuff, like he's, he's getting blown by and like it's bad. Like I didn't quite see that with Matt Thomas. Now, maybe you have to make more concessions if he's out there. Maybe you're playing zone a bit more. Uh, We're also talking about 40 minutes. Yeah, like, I, but I, I just didn't see what he saw in order to give Matt Thomas like the, the hard benching. Uh, and you know, I haven't combed over the film like he and his staff have. So, but that that was that just seemed harsh to me. Uh, I'll just say it about Matt Thomas specifically. So, yeah, I'd like to see Matt Thomas out there more. Uh, I, I think sort of the conclusions they came to at the beginning of the season that Thomas and Boucher should be like guys seven and eight. Like I think that's kind of right <laughs> like I, I i'd like to see more of a sample of that um so that's where i'm at i i i don't think nurse is like insane for drawing the conclusions he's drawing like i uh, there have been some pretty abhorrent blow buys and you know even like even lowry had his poor moments last night i thought defensively um Van Vliet has too like nobody OG has like I I don't think anybody like like Nurse said like nobody's infallible right now there have been some bad moments from everybody but you know it's as long as that's happening you need to address the other end as much if not more than than the defense and that's sort of where my conclusion comes to sure um, okay, one last uh, one last thing before we end this negativity podcast. Uh, the panic about Siakam. Look, it, Siakam, though, it's a weird spot with Siakam where it feels like we've written or talked about him every single day. And then s- still we get like the, why aren't you writing about this? Why aren't you talking about this? Because it feels like it should be the talking point every game. And I get that because if he starts playing like he could be playing and, and like he's being paid to play a lot of this other stuff just kind of lines up a little better, right? And he has played. Like, let's not, like, people are, like, yes, there's always been uncertainty about him in, like, as 1A, and I don't think he ever proved that he can be, like, even an average option number one. But, like, at the the first half of the season, he was pretty damn good last year. Yeah. Um, and, And a lot of things line up 
nicely if that starts to fall into place. Um, now, I, I will say also that uh, if he were playing really well, some of these other gripes like the rotation and the bench units and stuff, they actually get magnified more because those matter a lot more in a three-point game than a 15-point game. Um, but yeah, I think that would fix, maybe not fix things, but it would certainly, the the vibes would be better and the way these games <laughs> feel would be better. And they certainly wouldn't have dropped five games that they, they led by double digits. Um, I'm wondering if you saw positive steps being taken by Siakam on Monday. Uh, He did have, I think, 22 points on 19 used possessions. He definitely still had some lapses, uh, you know, sealing Peyton Pritchard in the post and then traveling when he got the ball in there, Um, you know, missing some push shots where I don't know if it's a a hesitancy to get to the front of the rim or, or he's just, you know, too, he's going to that floater package too quickly instead of staying uh, aggressive all the way through. But I did think, you know, the passing out of the post, the passing out of double teams, um, some of the hustle plays, I I thought, I don't want to lower the bar too much, but I thought Monday, had the game turned out differently and Siakam played the exact same, would have been looked at as a slight positive step forward. Would you agree with that? I I think, like, honestly, like the last two games, I've seen some things that have been encouraging, and yet... Those games also have notable instances in which he showed hesitancy to just go straight to the basket when Lonzo Ball or Peyton Pritchard was guarding him. So, like, it's tough to get too positive when, like, you're in or around the paint being... I mean, Lonzo Ball's a pretty damn good defender, but if your 6'9 forward has him on the block, like, you've got to be feeling pretty good about it. Um, and he's just, he's not being as aggressive as he should be. And I, I don't know. It's just like, you remember there's, there's one possession that stands out to me from the finals and he was struggling in whatever game this was. And like, he's going against Draymond Green all game. So you get it right. And then they run in transition and Sean Livingston, he matches up against Sean Livingston in transition and it's like Siakam is so excited. Like finally for the first time in, in six weeks an all NBA defender isn't on him. And, and like they, they throw the ball into him and he like gets a, gets a decent layout or, you know, a small hook shot or a layup. I don't remember how he scored, but he scored. And, and like what's concerning is he, they're getting these mismatches on occasion and the hesitation still coming. So Like, yeah, he's been a bit more active on the glass. He's making some decent reads. Um, But, you know, he's still not taking advantage of of the mismatches that he's getting. The drives are still far, few and far between. He had a a really nice one on uh, against the Pelicans in which... uh, Brendan Ingram was overplaying him toward the screen and screen and he sort of slithered by and, and then around Zion for that little Euro step kind of drive. But we're just not seeing enough of that. And like, I, I think the mismatch stuff is the stuff that screams out to me, like confidence issue, not to get inside a guy's head, but like there, there's some hesitation there. Like it's clear for everybody to see. So Yes, I think there were small signs of improvement, and you should probably take what you get at this stage, but it's tough for me to get too excited about that when 
there's like low hanging fruit that's being left on the table. Yeah. Um, so all told, Siakam's averaging 18, 7, and 4. His usage rate has dropped from 27.8 to 24.5. And his true shooting percentage has dropped from 55.4 to 50.2, uh, along with it. A big part of that not getting to the free throw line yeah. pretty much at all. So, you know, you have to hope that he takes Monday as at least an individual small step forward. Um, you know, obviously there's beyond just his performance, like the fact that he got benched for a game and the fact that the energy around this team is, you know, this is not, obviously the team is structured to where it's a Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam kind of triumvirate leading the team. But Siakam is, you know, the the way that this is supposed to look this year is that they take on his energy and they take on, you know, his identity kind of and, it's not surprising that his struggles are going hand in hand with the team struggles. Yeah. And like, uh, I mean, historically he's been such like his energy has been contagious, right? <laughs> like, right. like uh, I mean, especially on the quote unquote come up uh, of Pascal Siakam, it's like, you know, he's running in transition. He's smiling. He's, you know, playing. How, how long is the court? 94 feet. Yes. 94 foot basketball. Like, like that's a big part of who they were. And, you know, when he's down on himself and, and not feeling good, like the Raptors lose a big part of who they are. I I think it's sort of undeniable. And and like, I don't want to make pained comparisons, but like you need a bigger guy who can create shots. You need it. Like the, the Raptors, aren't going to be able to rely on two six foot guards to be their offensive engines and have anything more than an average offense. And right now that's obviously a dream, an average offense, but like, even if you start to look at a ceiling, like that's, it's just, you need that guy to be, to be there. And right now he's just not, and there's no way to talk around it. All right, Eric, uh, last week we had you predict the three games this week and you blew it. Uh, you said the Raptors would go three and zero, and we would be standing here at three and three. Instead, they went one and two, and they're now one and five. They embark on a four-game, six-day road trip. Now they play at the Phoenix Suns, at the Sacramento Kings, at the Golden State Warriors, and at the Portland Trail Blazers. Uh, the last of those, their first back-to-back of the season. Um, that is not the friendliest trip and the best-timed trip to turn things around. But how are you feeling for it? Uh, I'll predict two and two. Uh, I'll say wins against Sacramento and Golden State. Um, but I'm not feeling good about it. Uh, uh, yeah, as Lowry said, if it doesn't go right, it can be a long ass trip. The longest short trip of your life. Yeah. Uh, he also said thin line between being good and bad, which, uh, yep. That's, I mean, uh, like, yeah, when you look at the 14 minutes of clutch time <laughs> in which they're minus 12 overall and 0-3 in those games, that's yeah. very true. Also, just like if you have a double-digit lead in every game and you're 1-5, and that highlights how thin that line is. It also highlights the fact that the variance early in this NBA season is just out of control. Like, the number of blowouts, the... I don't know. There's there is so much weird in the NBA statistical profile right now. It's it's a lot. I was talking to Holly McKenzie, our friend, about this uh, yesterday, and she was like 
saying how every game either seems like it's close or a 25 point game. Like there's no. Yes. Uh, and that, uh, that is backed up statistically. Yeah. And she was sort of like making a broader point about like how, uh, like maybe in this changed pandemic world, we know when we've lost, <laughs> and, uh, uh, which doesn't, which I obviously like spiritually. That very much is. I mean, I mean, first of all, I worry for Holly that she's making points that I would make. Uh, that's never good. Uh, but also, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. Like, I'm not sure how much the Raptors blowing three or sorry, six, as you put it, double digit leads like backs that up. But yeah, there is there seems to be a certain point of, of no return. And uh, yeah, I would say the the Raptors blowing all these leads is antithetical to that because league wide we're seeing basically score effects have been reversed. Where normally when a team gets up fifteen or twenty, uh, the score compresses because you put in your bench or, or teams let off the gas or whatever. Like that's a well known long term effect, and we're actually seeing the opposite now. Where once a game gets out of like three or four possessions, um, one team just like packs it in, which like doesn't make sense from a like probabilistic stand standpoint, because like the high variance nature of, of the modern game suggests that like a 15 point lead or a 10 point lead isn't all that safe, but yes, there's a, a big mental aspect to it. Um, I could also see there being an element of this is a condensed schedule and a quick relaunch. So a quicker move to rest your guys once you get behind. Uh, and then if you're playing against the Raptors, you do the opposite and you just, uh, you know, you just keep playing because the Raptors will Cough that thing up to you, apparently. Uh, Anyway, which is all to say it's no longer a game of runs. It's a a game of run. Yes, sure. (laughs) Um, All right, that seems as good a point as any to uh, end this. We will talk to you again next week after uh, that four-game road trip. In the interim, theathletic.com slash we the six if you would like to subscribe to our written work and check that out. There's always a deal available at that link. Right now it's $3.99 a month which uh, I hope you find to be a pretty good deal. Eric, thanks, man, and you have a a wonderful Tuesday. Uh, You too, Blake. Thanks for listening. See ya! See ya!